thank you so much for tuning in. And again, I just want to give a special happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are listening, and uh, we're praying for you. We appreciate you, and we thank you for how you've helped us understand or see or experience or know of the love of God. Well, today is part five of the series we've been in since Easter, and it's a series called Game Changers. And we're just finding truths in an incredible passage of Scripture, Romans 8, that sort of change the game of life for us if we embrace these and believe these and hope in these truths that we're sharing. Well, today I want to talk about something that I know we've all struggled with. And and I want us to imagine a puzzle. And I've got, I think it's about a 300-piece puzzle here. And imagine if I just started giving you these pieces of, of a puzzle and said, hey, put this puzzle together, but you had no picture to go by. You know, usually there's a picture inside or, a, or the box that shows you what it's supposed to look like when it's all finished, and you had nothing to go by, and you just were handed these little pieces and, and told, hey, get to work, good luck, uh, and I'll check on you later. This would be an incredibly frustrating experience. It would be confusing probably you would be tempted to give up. You would be tempted to throw in the towel. And a lot of times that's kind of how life feels. I mean, something happens and we're a piece of life you know, happens to us or happens around us. And we're just like, how does this fit? How does this help make or not make or complete or not complete my life story? What? And you may say, hey, what is God doing? Or what am I supposed to do with this? Or how does this fit? How does this apply? How do I leverage this? How do I understand this? How do I process this? Sometimes you have to say, how do I heal from this? How do I get over this? And so today's game changer is going to be this. What if we knew how it all fits together? What if God gave us, I mean, because thousands of things happen to us, right? What if God would show us the big picture or at least give us some inclination or some understanding of how eventually all this stuff is going to fit together and make a complete picture that is beautiful, that is amazing, and that is glorious. So that's going to be today's game changer. Let's hold on for an incredible journey through Romans chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 26 where it says this, the Spirit, so that's the Holy Spirit, God exists in three personalities, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Now notice how he describes our weakness. He says, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. We've learned in this series that God's greatest work is in us and that God wants to speak his spirit to our spirit and his spirit wants to indwell us and, and communicate with us and share things with us. And, and so what this says is, hey, we don't know. So there's things that happen to us in life and, and hey, I just don't know what this means. I don't know how to pray for God's will to be done. I don't know how to pray for anything significant to happen. I don't know how this all fits together in my story. But it says that's okay because God has given you himself. God knows things perfectly. God loves perfectly. God's going to finish what he started. And so the Spirit is interceding for us with inexpressible groanings. And it says that he who searches our heart, God, knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints, prays for the saints according to the complete and perfect will of God. And we would all confess 
I don't know the perfect will of God in every situation. I don't know if God caused this or allowed this. Sometimes I don't know if God wants me to suffer through this and endure or if he just wants to remove this. I just don't always know, but the Spirit does. And so as we're searching for this game changer of how all this stuff fits together, let's just say this at the beginning. It's okay not to know as long as we trust the one who does. See, I think sometimes we believe that everything is contingent upon us understanding and us having a specific and logical and reasonable understanding of what does this mean and where does this go? And we're just starting the conversation with, hey, God's with you, God's praying for you, and God's will being done in your life is not dependent upon our perfect understanding. Now, with that, God goes into, or the Word of God goes into one of the most amazing verses of the Bible. It's my wife's favorite verse, her life verse. Many of you may have heard it. Many of you may know it. Romans 8, 28. But we do know, so there's stuff we don't know, but we do know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. So if we just sort of break that down, here's what he says. Hey, we don't know maybe what this specific thing means, but we know that all these things, all these pieces of life that get thrown at us, that get put on us, that we go through, that we get, that we receive, that that happen to us, that happen around us, that all of these things are going to work together for the good. There's going to be a beautiful outcome. There's going to be a beautiful picture that results from this of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now, there's three words we're going to have to press into to really understand this verse, and the words are good and love and purpose. But before we go there, let's wrestle with something for just a minute, and I believe all of us can relate to this. At first, Romans 8, 28 seems sort of inconsistent because you've had something, a piece of part of your life, and you're like, God, I don't see how anything positive or good can come from this. And, and God, for you even to say that is kind of offensive and, and feels inconsiderate, or at least, God, it's inconsistent. And so we ask this question, God, how is God working things together for my good or for our good? How is that going to happen? And that brings us to the first wrestle or the first word that we have to wrestle with, which is the word good. Because your definition of good and my definition of good might be different from God's definition of good. And, and we're going to have tension with God over that point. For example, most of us, our definition of good might have something to do with our comfort, our pleasure, our convenience, or our expectation being met. And when, though, when something is inconvenient or not comfortable or not pleasurable or an expectation goes unmet, there's no way we look at this and we're like, this, there's no way this is good. But what we're invited to trust, because remember, we don't know everything specifically, but God's about to show us the big picture. What we need to trust is this. What if God's good is always better than my good? What if God's good is always better than my good? And could we trust that? Could we harness that? And we leaned into that last week when we talked about hope and that there's always, a, there's always a, a, the ability for the Christ follower to say the best is yet to come. Now, the second word in Romans 8, 28 that we lean into is love. 
And he's talking about our love for God, that Romans 8, 28 has a condition. It's not unconditional. That means it doesn't apply universally to every single person. It specifically says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So this is talking about my love going to God. Now, notice that our love is a response to something because it says those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. So called, God invites us, God brings us, God woos us, God draws us to himself to a place where we love God back. So my love for God in Romans 8, 28 is a responding love. So the question we have to ask right here is, have I ever responded to the love of God? Have I ever said yes to God's love for me? Now, how do we know God loves us and how does God call us? God calls us and shows us his love for us by putting his son on a cross instead of us and for us so that we can be adopted into his forever family and be part of his kingdom and become the home to his Holy Spirit. So have we ever said yes to God's yes to us? Because Jesus on a cross and the empty tomb that resulted three days later is God looking out at at, at sinful, fallen, broken humanity and saying yes to them. But we have to respond to that love. John 1.12 says it this way, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, his character, who he is, what he did, he gave the right to become children of God. So we understand that, have I responded to God's love? And if I have, then Romans 8, 28 promise that all things will work together for my good applies to me. And then the last thing that God says in, the, in 8, 28 is the, word, the last word we're going to focus on is purpose, is purpose. And so the beautiful thing that we embrace, and if, if you were listening last week or watched last week, we, we talked about frustrations and we talked about creation groaning and our bodies groaning and the world being broken. So, so we know that t- challenging things happen, but God has made a promise that they're going to accomplish his purpose. And so here's a way we can think about Romans 8, 28, that long before you and I face a problem, God has a purpose. God has a purpose. And so when you tie all these things together, you begin to understand that God is working things out for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, we have to make a distinction. There is a difference between understanding the reason for something and accepting the purpose of it. See, reason wants to know, you know, why did this come to me? Why did this happen when it did? There's a difference between knowing the reason and accepting the purpose. And and so sometimes we don't get a logical explanation. Sometimes we don't get something that makes sense to us or fits the context or fits our limited, finite understanding. But God's going to show us the big picture and God's going to give us the purpose. And so what we're invited to lean into is that this God has a ultimate and loving purpose for all of his kids who have said yes to his yes to us in his son, Jesus Christ. So something hurtful can come to you and and something bad can happen to you. And, And you don't have to have a logical reason for it. And you don't even have to like it. But you can look at this thing that you don't understand. You can look at this thing. like I just don't know, but I know that God does. I know that God's... And you can say, listen... This is coming to me. This has come to my life. 
And a good God is going to bring good from this because I know that I know that I know that God loves me because I've said yes to His love to me through His Son, Jesus. I don't have to like it. I don't have to love it. But I do understand there's a bigger purpose behind it and it will all make sense and it all is going to fit together some way, somehow, under the sovereign, gracious, love, power, and purposes of God. Now, Paul shares with us in verse 29 exactly what this purpose is. It says this, For those that he foreknew, so those God knew ahead of time, those he foreknew, he also predestined or he purposed beforehand, so God knew in advance and purposed in advance, to be conformed to the image of His Son, to be made like His Son Jesus, so that He would be the firstborn among many. God's building a family, God's building a kingdom among many brothers and sisters that we get put into the family of God. Now, I know the word predestination and foreknowledge of God has some confusing connotations and people debate it. But in the context and the tone of this passage, here's what it means. That God's foreknowing people and predestining, knowing ahead of time, purposing ahead of time. Those are not about arbitrary choices, but about rather they're about purposeful love. That God's love is moving things forward with a purpose. And God's love is advancing forward to a purpose. And so here's the beautiful thing that we understand about God's love. Because he knew in advance, he purposed in advance that God's love for you and I is absolutely and unequivocally forever. Now, we got to sit on that for just a minute, okay? So, so when this little thing comes at us, this is not evidence that God doesn't love me. In, in fact, it's ultimately going to be evidence of how God does love you because he brings it through to, to a culminating ultimate, penultimate, forever purpose, all under the umbrella of His love and His grace and His sovereignty. Now, most of us don't understand God's love or, or love in the context of forever. We understand this. I love you when you make me laugh. I love you when you help me. I love you when you do this. We, we understand that. Or I love you because. I love you because of your sense of humor. I love you because of your personality. I love you because you helped me through a hard time. God's love is just, I love you forever. I, I, I've known you and I knew all about you before you even existed. I knew you would mess up on spring break. I knew you would go through two or three marriages. I knew you would have an addiction. I knew you would struggle with pride. I knew you would struggle with lust. I knew you would struggle with money. I knew you would hurt people, and I still love you. So, so imagine when you understand God's love being forever, this is so mind-boggling and so beautiful. Imagine like you got a married couple, and they're like going for a walk in, in, along the beach or something, real romantic. And, and, and the wife just turns and looks at her husband and she says, I just love you. Now, when she says that, does she, does she mean, let's do, let's do option A, option B. Does she mean, option A, I love you because I love your smile. I love how you love the kids. I love how you give me, you know, good, cool little gifts on Valentine's Day and our anniversary. I love you because you're easy to talk to. That's option A. Or is it option B? I love you because you, you sometimes have halitosis and body odor and you, you sometimes forget to put the toilet seat down in the middle of the night and it causes me problems. I, I love you because you, you got some things that really get on my nerves. So, so which one is it? Now, she means option A, right? I, I, I love you this. Now, when it comes to God, a lot of us think God is like option A. 
that he's looking at you and I saying, man, I love you and I'm incomplete without you. I love you, Matt, or I love you because, you know, heaven wouldn't be heaven if you weren't in it. I love you. And it's almost this therapeutic, Dr. Phil, feel good kind of love. When God looks at us and says, I love you, he's saying, I love you in spite of the halitosis of sin, in spite of the fact that you do things that are offensive to my holy character, I still love you. I still have a purpose for you. And through the cross and through my son Jesus, I still call you to be one of my sons and daughters. And I've paid the price to adopt you. I've paid the price to put my spirit in you. And I've paid the price so that no matter what happens to you, if you love me back and respond to my love, it's going to all fit together. And it's going to fit together in a beautiful portrayal of my son. So God's forever purpose is to take people that respond to his love and then to conform them so that they begin to look more like Christ. So God's love is purposeful. God's love has a goal. God's love has an aim. And it's conforming us to Christ. And, and there's, no, there's never been a happier person than Jesus. And so when God wants the best for you, He knows the best for you is to make you more like His Son. So here's what He's promising. Is He will use all things to do one thing. And that is to make us more Christ-like. And that would be the most beautiful, loving, happifying, happifying, ha making us happy thing that God could do. And, and so what God does is He pulls out of God's Word and He says, look, I, life seems random and none of this stuff seems to fit together, but let me just share you, show you where it's all going. And He holds up this beautiful picture like people putting a puzzle together. Oh, and that's where that goes. Oh, that's how that's working. Oh, that's how you're making me more like Jesus. Oh, that's how you're making me more patient or more loving or more uh, um, hopeful. Oh, so, so in this COVID-19 situation, you will miss something if you're not looking for how God is wanting to use this all thing to do that one thing, that loving thing which is to make you more and me more Christ-like. And Paul continues to take this to a, to a culminating, climactic conclusion. So he says, okay, and those whom he predestined, purposed ahead of time, he also called, he invited. How does God call? He calls through the gospel, Jesus in for us, Jesus instead of us, Jesus dying in our place. And those who he called, he also justified. That's a legal term. So that's paying the penalty for our sin debt and our sin problem. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this hasn't completely happened. That glorified means, man, he, he, the picture finally is starting to look like Christ. And finally, it's starting to all fit together and come together. But when he says it, notice he says it almost in a past tense. So even though it hasn't happened, by God's word, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so the third part of the description of God's love we get is God's love is advancing. God's love is moving forward and it can't be thwarted. There, there will never be this peace that isn't covered by Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29, Romans 8.30, because it says all things will work together. So nothing's going to slow it down. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to be, oh, there will, never be a, there will never be something that happens to someone who loves God back where, oh, just throw this one out. 
No, it will all fit together and advance to this glorious, climactic, satisfying, amazing conclusion. And it's almost like Paul stops and kind of has a, a, a moment of awe and a moment of wonder and a moment like a pinch yourself moment. Is this really true? Is this really happening? And look what he says in 831. He says, what then shall we say to these things? In light of what we talked about, that, that all this random stuff is going to work together for good, that all this stuff that happens, that I just don't know what to do about this, I don't know how it works, I don't know how it fits together, God's going to make it work. God's going to fit it together. We'll look back and say, you know, I hated it when I went through it, but I see how God used it for my good. Praise God. Thank you, God. So he says, well, what do we say to these things? And this is where I want to stop and just, just say this to, to, to all of you who are listening. No matter how you're listening, you're on demand, you're online. Do you believe what I'm about to say? What then shall we say to these things? That there is nothing better than being loved by God. Because Paul just takes this as a given. Paul, who was beaten, who was shipwrecked, who would ultimately die for being a Christian, there's just nothing better. I, there's nothing more I can say. That there's nothing more that God can do. There's nothing more that God can give to convince me or show me or prove his love for me. So instead of something like this coming into our lives and, and us being like, oh, this is exhibit A, that God's not loving or God's not good or God's not powerful. God's already said in his word, no, there will come a time when you're glorified, when you'll take this thing that was tough, that was hard, that was difficult, that was challenging, and you'll see how it all fits together and you'll see how I got brought God, how I brought good out of that. And, and, and this is not, won't be evidence that I don't love you. This will be evidence that I have loved you forever and i have loved you in a beautiful conforming advancing way so there's nothing better than being loved by god now for some of you though that that's a collision point that's a collision point and what i mean by a collision point is god can't give you anything better than his son or his spirit or his fatherly love cannot give you anything better but some of us are like, no, 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 no. Let me put a comma there. Yeah, okay, I, God, there's nothing better than being loved by God, comma, but I still want to give you this, and I still want to get this. No, no, keep that as a period. Some of you want to put a plus sign, that, say Jesus plus money, or Jesus plus this kind of retirement, or Jesus plus this type of health, or Jesus plus this, or Jesus plus that. And Paul would say, look, don't replace a period with a comma and don't put a plus sign because Jesus plus nothing still equals everything and, and, and you're still loved perfectly. There's nothing better than being loved by God. So he continues, he says, okay, so if God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things? And what he's saying ultimately now is if God is so much for us, then God's love is absolutely conquering, or God's love is overcoming, or, or God's love will, will just overcome lesser, e lesser loves and overcome evil, overcome anything that was arrayed against us. And so we understand that God's love is conquering. Now, at this point, I just want to stop and say, you know, I think some of us, our greatest problem and our greatest challenge is we just don't let God love us. 
that there's some barrier, there's some resistance, there's some quenching of the Spirit of God, and, and we just don't let God love us. And I was thinking about this, and I just want to share some roadblocks that we have to receiving this love. You know, the fact of the matter is some of us have not yet received Jesus. Some of us have not said yes to God's yes to us. We've looked at Jesus on the cross, and we haven't said yes, that he died for me, he died instead of me, and I want to give him the steering wheel of my life. If that's you and today you want to become a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister in the family of God, say yes to Christ. Say yes to Christ. I think sometimes we get confused by circumstances. Something falls on us, a piece of life happens, something happens into our life and we're just confused by it and we're looking so much at this and this and this is what we're seeing, this is what we're focused on, this is what we're preoccupied by, that we lose the beauty of the ultimate picture that God has promised to bring about for those who love Him. Oftentimes we listen to the world more than the Word of God. And the world wants you to put your hope someplace insecure. The world wants you to move your hope off Jesus. The world wants you to hope in something else. The world says love looks like making much of me. The Word says love is God making much of His Son and inviting you to become part of His Son's family, His Son's kingdom, through His Son's death. The cross has become too cliche to us or clouded. We, we just sort of take it for granted, especially if you're like from the Bible Belt or you grew up sometimes maybe in a religious or churchy home. You're like, oh, oh the cross. Hmm. Oh, communion. Hmm. It just becomes cliche or clouded instead of, wow, amazing love. What can we say in response to these things? Sometimes we want feelings over understanding the truth. God, give me a feeling. Give me something. And what God wants to first do is give you understanding of the truth of His love, the cost of His love, the depth of His love, and the length of His love. So in conclusion, I just want to talk about how do we live in the love of God? How do, how, what does it look like to live loved? And what Paul's going to do in verse 31 through 39 is he's going to use what's called a greater to lesser principle. He's going to argue from something really great and kind of come backwards to something really small. So the greater is, you know, how God is working all things for good, what the final picture looks like. The lesser things, man, this piece, this piece of my life is part of my, it was really frustrating. It, th this was, this one was really hurtful and, and confusing. Man, when I went through this, I didn't know I would make it through. And Paul would say, no, no, let's stay with the greater where things are going and not get focused on the lesser. It would, it would be like this. Imagine, we fast forward and we're looking back. It's the end of the year and we're looking back over the last 12 months. And imagine January 1st was the worst day of your life. You know, you lost your job. You, you had a wreck on your way home, right? Uh, some, somebody in your family got, got really bad sick and you, you only had benefits. You didn't have enough benefits. And it was just the worst day of your life. But on January 2nd, you found that like, some great uncle that lived out in Montana had just died and you're his only living relative and he left you millions and millions of dollars and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of land and ownership shares in, in this company and that company and all of a sudden you had all these things coming at you and you were like, man, suddenly you were rich and suddenly you didn't have to worry about insurance or paying the bills and everything just started getting, you know, circumstantially better and better and better and better. Well, at the end of the year and you look back and someone says, hey, how was your year? Would you say... January 1st, it was awful. Now you would look at the totality of the year and say, you know what? It's a good year. So Paul's like, from this 
perspective of eternity. God has been doing something beautiful in my life and I'm not going to let that frustrating COVID-19 season rob me of all the good God has done, is doing, and has promised to do in me, through me, and for me, for His glory and His honor. So, let's join Paul in this greater to lesser understanding of how to live loved. The first thing is this. We have to learn to talk back to our problems and talk back to our enemies. A lot of times we focus so much on the enemy, so much on the problem, and we let them get under our skin and rob us. Paul says, who can really be against us? So so look at COVID-19. Look at what's going on in the economy or whatever you're facing in life and say, compared to the God who is so for me that he sent his son to die for me, the God who has promised to take this little frustrating piece and work it into a beautiful picture of good for for me and glory to him. It's like, nothing can stand against me. In verse 32, he says, this God did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. So how will he not also with him grant us everything? Now he means everything to fulfill that purpose of making us look like Christ. And so he says, God didn't spare his own son. So to live loved, you have to, by God, you have to look often and linger long at the cross. The cross can never get old. If you're not a Christ follower, and you're wondering, and man, how does all life and how does all this stuff fit together? What I would encourage you to do is just go look at the cross, read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John of, of Jesus' death and, and crucifixion and resurrection. Ponder what he was doing. Ponder that call, that invitation. Ponder how the cross is God saying yes to you. Look often and linger long at the cross. And to the Christian, we never graduate from this. We never get to the point where the cross can be cliche or taken for granted. We just consider he who did not spare his own son. Wow. How will he not also grant us everything for good in Christ? Verse 33, he says, Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? We know Satan is an accuser. We know Satan wants to point out everything we've done wrong. At the beginning, Satan will minimize sin. After we commit sin, he maximizes it for our guilt and shame. And so Paul says, who can bring an accusation against God's people, God's elect? God is the one who justifies, makes it, makes, declares innocent and righteous through Jesus' death and life. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And he also is at the right hand of God. And he is praying for us. He intercedes for us. And so Paul says, To live love, you got to remember the charges against you can't stick. They won't stay around. You are declared righteous in the sight of God. God looks at you just as if you have never sinned. So all those accusations, past, present, future, they don't stick because you are loved with this redeeming, purposeful love of God. And then in 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 the end, verse 35 through 39, Paul is going to list just an amazing thing. He's going to list seven afflictions and ten potential obstacles to the love of God. So here's what he says. Now, who can separate us from the love of Christ? So ten afflictions, seven obstacles. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 44, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So Paul's like, hey, life is tough and bad things happen to Christ followers. Bad things happen to people. He doesn't deny that. But he says, can those things separate us from the love of God in Christ? No. In all these things, all these things, all these parts and pieces of our life that get thrown at us, that we go through, that happen to us, happen around us, we are more than conquerors. In other words, we're going to more than overcome. We're going to more than defeat. They're going to be used and they're going to serve God's ultimate purpose. So we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced or I am persuaded. Remember, nothing is better than being loved by God. So I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine if you wrapped up your online on-demand experience with us and you were persuaded of that? Nothing better than being loved by God. And there's no waiting for what's already been won. I'm not going to wait for victory. I have it. It's promised. I don't understand every little thing. But I do have the big picture of how all things are working together for my good and His glory. If you want to say yes to Christ today, say yes, I'm going to answer the call of God to become His son or His daughter. Would you text RECEIVE to 888-744-0761? Maybe you're ready to take steps toward connecting to this church family, this church body. So you can also text receive or just go to rockbridge.cc forward slash next steps. We'd love to help you take next steps. If you've got questions, we'd love to have a conversation with you. You can still text receive to that number that's on the screen. But here's my hope and prayer. that Many of you would say yes to Christ because he's already said yes to you and he's just waiting. And others of you would walk away convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, persuaded, that is the word Paul used, there's nothing better than being loved by God. Let me pray. God, for everybody listening, they're not listening by accident. They're not watching by accident. You have a purpose for this time we've spent together. Whatever that purpose is, by your Holy Spirit, help us to see it, God, accept it, and cooperate with it. Thank you, God, for loving us first, loving us most, loving us best, and loving us forever in your Son whose name we pray. Amen.